Hello everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. This is your stopping point for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now here at this curious nexus point, we explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the things in between. I'm your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Well, since arbitrarily deciding to put the word nouns into the title of this program, I feel strangely compelled to introduce a word every week that kind of sums up the guest. Now, I'm going to pull from... Listen for this. You know what that is, kids? For my younger listeners, that is a dictionary. Dictionaries, in days of yore, used to be made out of paper. My grandmother had several large dictionaries, and this is one of them. So I'm going to look up the word monopoly. It is a noun. Oh, fancy that. The definition is exclusive ownership through legal, privilege, command of supply, or concerted action. Well, I will tell you that our guest today has definitely made a name for himself through all of those means. His name is Ken Corey, and he has been a Monopoly champion everywhere he's gone. And I don't mean Monopoly as in robber barons and railroad tycoons. No. No, I'm talking about Monopoly the board game. As any child of the late 70s and 80s will remember family game nights huddled around the Monopoly board as you took your thimble and top hat and passed go, collected your $200, and tried to stay out of jail. Well, if you're like me, you remember these little nights, except mine were different. I remember the screams. My sister wildly throwing punches, my little brother stealing from the bank. This divided the family until someone flipped over the board and the game was over. Family fun night was at an end. Well, Ken Corey has taken that kind of passion and that game and his nostalgic love of it and combined the two and has been a force to be reckoned with in the tournament circuit. Now, Ken, your Monopoly, uh, I don't want to say savant, but uh, or um, I don't think you've been canonized as a saint yet, but you know quite a bit about Monopoly. Yes, I've been uh, formerly the number three player in the United States. Nationally ranked. Nationally ranked, and I still compete in tournaments. Who's number one and number two? Uh, number one right now is a guy from Norway. How do you feel about that? You want to bring uh, him back to the U.S.? He's a nice guy. He's a very nice guy. I met him at the World Championship, and uh, he's, a good, he's a great guy. And number two is uh, the guy from the United States. Who is that? Oh, um, oh, I don't remember his name. Wait, now, Norway, when you say number three, you're number three in the world or number three in the United States? I'm number three in the United States. So the guy from Norway is technically considered part of the United States? Yes. Is he a citizen or is he just... Oh, no, no. He's not part of the United States. It was the World Championship in Las Vegas. Okay. So when you say the... I'm just curious how the rankings work. So when you say in the U.S., he's still considered a U.S. ranking even though he's... No, no. He's the world ranking. He represented Norway at the World Championship. So you're number three in the world then? I'm number three in the United States. Okay. I'm just the, trying to figure the out who one that, who won the United States yeah. Championship. He represented the United States against the world. Got it. Who was that? Well, it was Matt McNally the year oh, I Matt, was in the, yeah. the championship, and uh, uh, then it was somebody else after that. Matt McNally. Um, so, how did you get into Monopoly? Because you take this seriously. You've got a book out. You've got the book on Monopoly, um, which is called Monopoly Strategy. Monopoly Strategy by Ken Corey. And um, how did you get into Monopoly? I've been into Monopoly since I was in high school. We played as kids a lot. Mm. And when I was in college, a friend of mine and I, we looked up tournaments and found out about them. And we traveled around the United States playing in tournaments until we got better and better. Um, So there were Monopoly tournaments. I mean, this is all new to me. I mean, I've never really heard of anything like this before. So Monopoly tournaments have been going on for a while. They've been going on since 1973. No kidding. In fact, the first world champion was a guy named Lee Baird, who happens to be a good friend of mine. How'd you meet Lee Baird? I met him at a local Monopoly tournament after he had become world champion. And I won the tournament, and Lee liked me and uh, started inviting us over to his house, and we got to know him and started playing with him in uh, different Monopoly tournaments. Is he local? Is he California? He's local here in California. No kidding. Here in Los Angeles, actually. Is that right? Yes. (laughs) Um, So just so the audience knows, I'm going to try to broker a game between Lee Baird, Ken Corey, and uh, Tim Vanderberg. 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 
uh, who are all extremely uh, talented players. I yes. Mean, Tim's a great player, too. Yes, he is. Um, now, here's what's funny. So, so I, I, you were in a documentary called Under the Boardwalk. Yes. And that basically follows, I think it's the 2009 World Championships, basically, I, I think, right? Is that? Well, it follows the U.S. Championship and the World Championship. In that year, though, 2009. Yes. Now, here's what's interesting, because Tim, we almost talked to Tim. We almost had a, a dual interview, but he's, because he's in, just north of us about maybe uh, an hour or two. Yes. We almost had um, a dual interview, which would have been interesting, because when 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 I analyzed the strategy of you two, he's more, because um, he's a, a, a teacher, and he uses Monopoly to kind of teach statistics to his kids. Yes. Right? Like, yeah, it's kind of a cool little board. He has the percentages of, like, how people, you know, where people are going to land, and he, you know, has all the kids using it as a, as a learning tool. And you're more of, like, a sixth sense kind of guy. Like, you've put in, you know, you're one of those 10,000 hours to greatness kind of guys who has just seen so many different scenarios and strategies and personalities where you can kind of predict people's behavior, correct? Well, yes. It's funny about Tim because his strategy may have changed. Really? When I first met Tim, I read about he was kind of an aggressive player. Mm. You mean physically aggressive or aggressive in the game? Well, aggressive in the game. Okay. And it was turning off a few people. Now, I played Tim a few times. I have not seen the aggression. Mm. So it's something different than what I've seen. Mm. But uh, I heard that he was very aggressive. Don't you have to be aggressive in the game? You have to be aggressive, but you can be aggressive in a nice way. Okay. I'd heard that Tim was not, yeah. but it's not what I've seen and what I've experienced yeah. when I have played him. Well, you know, it's funny because I wish, I wish I could either have seen you in a tournament play or played with you in a tournament. You um, still can. I still I, play in tournaments. We, I'm playing in one next month. We can, <laughs> we can play each other, sir. I challenge yes. you. Because um, here's what's funny about it. In, in the book and in the game... Um, I don't know how to say this the right the right way because I respect your style, but it kind of, especially in the movie, you kind of come off a little abrasive, especially because like one of the kids, there's this one scene and it's so funny, where he wants to trade you. I think he he lands on a property and and you you land on a property and he offers to pay you outright for it, and you say, well. There's actually sales tax or something like that, like just to get your beak wet on it, which is exactly how you should play the game. But it's so funny to watch you do it to a kid because it's something I would do. But I imagine most people would be like, oh, that guy's, you know, kind of a dick. Well, you have to be careful. Yeah. Because you can't play the game with people thinking you're a dick all the time. <laughs> right. So right. you have to be careful. You have to be friendly. Yeah. And it's something that I'm always working on. Well, because 80% of the game is trading, which is you're talking to someone and you they want the best deal, but they also need something from you. I mean, that's, yes. you know, most of the game, I imagine. So that, that people skills, you go over it in your book quite a bit where you have to kind of hone your people skills, you know. Yes, and uh, what most people don't realize is what is a good property in a trade can change from game to game, depending yeah. largely on how much money you've got. Yeah. Um, now, how would you describe your basic strategy? My basic strategy is to try to be the first player to reach nine houses. Okay. Because there's a there's a big point between two and three houses that the rent almost triples, and the rent becomes damaging to the other players. That's the four hundred and fifty dollar limit that you mentioned. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So generally, the first player to reach nine houses is going to probably win the game. Hmm. So when you're doing a trade, you want to be that player. Mm -hmm. Now that might that might mean trading somebody who doesn't have a lot of money, some more expensive properties, if mm -hmm. they're willing to take them. Mm -hmm. It might mean you taking a cheaper property if you don't have a lot of money. You have to be the first person to re reach nine houses. So And so that's what, when you step into a game, that is your first goal. That is my first goal. Okay, um, and what's in your, you know, in your experience, what's the best way to do that? Is it all? Does it change every game? It changes every game. Okay. It depends largely on how much property you've bought. Okay. You are generally buying all of the property you land on. Okay. Not always, but generally you are. Okay. And there are instances where you don't buy property. Yes. For example, if. 
the greens were not going to be built okay. because they're a little expensive. Yeah. And I had one green, and I landed on a second green. Okay. I may let that go to auction. Rather than to spend $300 mm-hmm. when I'm about to build houses somewhere else, I don't need to because I've got one of the greens. So nobody's going to build on the greens without my permission. Mm-hmm. So I might not buy a second green. Okay. Oh, I should also make a disclaimer here to anyone listening. You should have a general knowledge of the game, of like the layout of the board. Otherwise, you may get lost. But um, I'll put something on the website so people can see. Because uh, so, the greens come right after the jail, the yes. go-to-jail box. And so is, is it, is, there's less of a flow, a, um, a player flow, after, get out of, or after the jail. That's but, true. Yeah. That entire side of the board is not hit as often. Okay. And in Monopoly... Being hit often is much more important than even the amount of money you're being hit on. Mm. Well, I found, um, just to kind of step into your world for a second, um, in my experience, and I don't know the numbers, Boardwalk and Park Place are hardly ever landed on. Yes. And the ones right after go, uh, Baltic and Mediterranean, I believe, the small purple ones, hardly ever landed on. As a matter of fact, most games that I've played, those are the last two to be bought. Usually someone lands on one, but the other two are not. Why, why well, is that? Boardwalk and Park Place have the advantage of being after the go-to-jail square. Yeah. In addition, there are only two properties, so yeah. there's less of a chance you're going to land on it. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. What about the other two, Baltic and Mediterranean? The other two, there are only two properties. Mm-hmm. People land on them right after passing go. So they have an extra $200. Yeah. So it doesn't do a lot of damage to them. Right. Well, I mean, I guess my question was more of how come those two are never landed on? Just... Mainly because there's only two of each property mm. instead of three. And are those the only two properties where there's only two? Yes. Oh, I guess it is, right? Yeah, I guess they are. And they're right next to each other. Yes. In like a five square, five, six, seven, seven square block. Um now, you've also been described as the leading expert on Monopoly rules. Like most, a lot of people default to you. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, so, that's now, true. How did, you get the, how did you get that distinction? That's actually kind of cool. I mean, people, you know, when it comes to obscure rules and there are weird situations that happen, you're the guy they call. Well, here's one of the things I've done. I've identified a number of areas where the rules are not clear. Okay. And I sometimes will clear up the rules in my favor, whatever sure. that happens to be in that particular game. That's the liberal interpretation. I think liberal you mentioned that in, in your book. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, what are some of those rules for the people at home? Well, um, some of the rules might be um, building, for example. Okay. I try and build very quietly and very quickly before other people see what's going on. So by the time the other people realize that I'm building... I've already built, and it might be too late for them to build. Well, how, now, how do you build? How do those two come together? How do you build quickly and quietly? When the other players are very busy, yeah. I quietly go to the banker. Here's $300. Give me three houses. Because you can build whenever. You can build whenever. Okay. So I'll try and build very quietly and very quickly. Okay. And I... Put the property. I put the uh, houses on the properties very quickly. Okay. One advantage of that is by the time the other players who are arguing about building mm-hmm. but have not started to build, by the time they realize that I've built, it's too late. Those houses are out of the market. Right. So I don't have to compete with them. Right. Now, how does now where does the where do the rules come into that? Is there is there a the rules don't really say. In cases where more people want to build than there are houses, yeah. the houses are auctioned off one at a time. Right. So if I can very quickly buy some houses before the other people start building, yeah. I'm not part of the auction. I got it. Now this, is, now, this leads into something that I didn't know that I learned from your book. We were talking a little bit beforehand about um, things. And I, well, I was making the point that uh, your book has kind of elevated the level of competition for Monopoly. Like, I think a lot of people came in house games, recreational, into tournaments. And your book kind of explains all of those rules and then tells you the next level of Monopoly, basically, like what the book does. And an interesting point that 
that you've made is you can actually create you know you can create a more a housing shortage like purposefully create a housing shortage for example um, hotels while they give you more rent uh, if you have four houses on each property you in fact have 12 houses in the market and there's only 32 houses available exactly so if you were to do that with two three person properties that's 24 houses that you've tied up and while you're getting less rent you're actually stopping other people from getting any income at all and even though you're getting less rent you're yeah. still getting a lot of rent right the difference between four houses and a hotel is very little mm. you're still past three houses so mm. you're 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 collecting a lot of money mm -hmm. and the fact that other people can't build houses decreases your competition right and puts you ahead yeah i mean i never even thought about engineering a housing crisis you know but i mean that's a great strategy i mean it's it's brilliant and you can do it, it without people knowing yeah because you pretend like you can't afford the hotels right you don't sit there and say oh i can afford hotels but i'm not because i want right. you people in a housing shortage right 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 you look at it and you say gee well i already have four houses i better save some money right for yeah, who knows? Rainy day. And look like brilliant. yeah, I'll buy hotels yeah. when I can afford it, but not now. Yeah, it's genius. I mean, it's like you know, it's yeah, it's crazy. And there's another one that I didn't even think about. Um, I, I got to give you credit on this. I mean, you really know how to massage the rules. There's um, the what's it called? You called it a parlor trick in the book. It's called the railroad swap the you give it like a cool little name like a sexy name oh where you're you're shuffling your railroads yeah a little bit? yeah i forget what you call it but it's um yeah explain how, what you do exactly you can explain it better than i can let's say you own four railroads okay if somebody lands on one of your railroads and it's unmortgaged yeah he pays for railroad rent yes even if your other railroads are mortgaged Correct, because you own four of them. Because you own four of them. Right. It's not how many you're on mortgage, it's how many you own. Right. Of course, the one they land on has to be unmortgaged. Right. So what you do is you mortgage three of your railroads. That gives you $300 that you can use to buy houses somewhere else. Right. And then as the railroad that is unmortgaged is passed, you mortgage it and unmortgage the next railroad. Right, uh, down that, the line. Down the line. Yeah. That costs you $10 service fee. Right. But it allows you to invest that $300 in houses and still collect full rent on the railroad. Now, when you say service fee, just to clear it up, because a lot of people, there's, there's rules that, when it comes to even the basic rules, I've found that most people don't even know the basic rules of monopoly. One of them being, when you unmortgage a property you have paid 10 percent of yes. the of the price of the property yes and so that's the service charge you're talking about right yes and in the case of a railroad it would be ten dollars okay um one of the other uh one of the other it's funny now that we'll, maybe we'll take a little side trick real quickly um one of the things that I like, and it's funny because you come off exactly how I would be about this rule in your book, and I totally, I was right on the same page with you, because I've had this argument so many times with so many people. My belief is that free parking, landing on free parking and getting money is the worst thing that's happened to Monopoly in Absolutely. the history of Monopoly. I, Absolutely. I'm going to tell why I think really quickly, and then I want you to give your opinion on it. Yes. My personal opinion is when you – the goal of monopoly is essentially you want to have an open system of money. You want money to be flowing out of the system and flowing into the system. Um, but when – so some of the – some of the when you land on luxury tax or when you have to pay taxes, that's designed to siphon money out of the system. If you close that system and you, everything that you pay to the bank is now in one spot, you've created more money than the game is supposed to have in it. Also, you, you have now a luck element, which, which is counterintuitive to the entire game. The entire game is about trading and using your skills to gain an advantage. If you just blindly luck into $3,000, what's the point of the game is, is my aspect. The third thing is that... It's always in my in my experience. It may not always be the case. The per, the least experienced person and the person with the least amount of money always closest to bankruptcy lands on that money, giving them new life. Which now the game, which would take ninety minutes, now takes you know three weeks to finish, and that's I think the biggest 
reason why I don't like free parking. But please give me what, what do you see? What do you you know? What do you like about it? Okay, first of all, yes. When you land on free parking, it's a free landing space. You do mm-hmm. not get money. Right. So that's against the rules of Monopoly. So when you make that rule that you get $500 for landing on free parking or get uh, the tax money or uh, that kind of stuff, you're not playing Monopoly. You're right. playing something else. Right. Because Monopoly is a very restrictive game in terms of the money, you have to be very careful with your money. Because when you invest money in houses, if you have to sell them back to the bank, you sell them at half price. Right. So there's a risk there. If you're getting free money every time you land on free parking, that lowers the risk. That means the less skilled players are even mm-hmm. because they're right. always going to get more money. Right. It also means you're never going to bankrupt them, right. and the game can go on forever. Right, and it does. It does. Yeah. If you play Monopoly by the regular rules, and you don't have to be a great player, you're just a normal player, you play by the regular rules, the game of Monopoly is going to last you an hour to an hour and a half. Exactly. And that's hard to convince people anymore. Most be- people don't even believe in that. Because when you ask them to play Monopoly, they think you're talking about hours and hours, and they right. don't want to play. Right. <laughs> and it hurts the game. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that that has, that has really contributed to the decline in Monopoly playing. It has. It has. In fact, there have been many, many times I've tried to get people to play Monopoly, and they won't because they think I'm talking about hours and hours. Right, <laughs> right. I'm not. Right. I mean, I've knocked out games in 60 minutes. You know, I mean, you can really, depending on how many people are playing, like you can really do exactly. it pretty quickly. Um, now, when it, let's get back to your secrets for just a second. Um, yes. Because one of the cool things that you've done, and you'll have to explain the rules on this, that, how they work, but um, your favorite piece Maybe it's not your favorite piece, but it's the piece you play with the most, is the iron. Yes. Now, why is that? Well, when I made the Monopoly movie a couple of years ago, my favorite piece was the hat. Mine too. And I was always fighting with another tournament player by the name of Jeff Ellis. Oh, Jeff, man. Who is a very great player and was actually my coach at a uh, U.S. championship. Oh, no kidding. Um, He always uses the hat. So we were always fighting and always rolling to see who gets it. Well, one day I'm watching the movie, and I noticed when they interviewed some people, they said they, they like a small piece because it makes it harder to see when you're playing Monopoly. <laughs> as simple as that sounds, that yeah. never occurred to me. <laughs> so I thought suddenly, yeah. why am I fighting Jeff over the hat? I should be playing with the smallest piece, which is the iron. Yeah. So I took the iron. And I not only took the iron, but I painted it the same color as the Monopoly board. <laughs> so now you don't see it at all when it's on the board. Is that legal? Can you paint it? I mean, what? it depends. It yeah. depends on the judge. You're, you're the expert on legality of rules, so tell me what. It's not covered by the rules. Okay. Uh, the rules generally <laughs> say you have to use a real piece. Yeah. That comes with a Monopoly board. Yeah, and they're but all But some people are allowed to use a coin or something else. Yeah. So when that happens, it makes it easier to use my piece. And since it isn't really covered, whether mm-hmm. you can use a painted piece or not, I just use it hmm. until they tell me I can't. Yeah. Now, one time it happened. I played Matt McNally, who's a former U.S. champion. Yeah. And I showed him the piece. This, yeah. was, this was one of the first games I played with it. And he thought it was great. Yeah. He said, <laughs> that that's, great. that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Then later in the tournament, he sits at my table and he said, oh, no. Oh, no, you can't use that. <laughs> you know what? I would do the same thing. Would, there's no way I would let you play. I would at least call a judge over. And but you'd be right. And I'd be right. But it is such a brilliant idea. I mean, it really is. Thank you. So now, the, so the advantage really is, just to kind of spell it out, when you land on a property that's owned by another player, yes. they have until the next die roll. Well, to they, they have two people. Okay. By the time the second person rolls the dice, they have to ask for the rent. Okay. So what you do, let's say you have a small piece like the iron. Yes. And he has a hotel on the property, and he's sitting across the board from you. Mm-hmm. You place your piece right next to the hotel so he doesn't necessarily see it. Yes. And you move quickly, 
and he maybe he's not paying attention. And then the next person rolls the dice, and then when the run after that rolls the dice, you've gotten away with it. Now, I would recommend you don't tell him that you've gotten away with it because he'll watch you carefully next time. <laughs> right, right. Well, it's funny because even Monopoly is like a game of inches. Because when you go to these tournaments, these people that you're mentioning, I mean, these are ranked players as well. Yes. I mean, these these are people who they know the tricks, they use the tricks. Exactly. You know. If I'm playing Jeff Ellis, for example, yeah, and I've got my painted uh, iron, yeah. And I set it next to the house. Jeff's going to see that. Sure. <laughs> I'm never going to fool Jeff. Right, yeah. But I might fool somebody else. Sure, you'd fool me. I, I could be fooled. Yeah. Because so, when you, you could even, you know, I guess, you, I don't know where people put their hotels on. Like, where do you put your hotels when you put them on the property? On the colored part of the property. Is that where they're supposed to be, or is that just where you put them? I, I think that's where everybody puts them. The rules don't say, but that's where people put them. Because the reason why I'm asking is because, just kind of spitballing, you could, like if we're sitting across from each other, yeah, I could take my piece and put it behind the hotel. You know what I mean? As long as it's still I, on I the I suppose you could. You could, and that would also obscure it from view. Yes. Which, I don't know, because I feel like when, you, when you're playing with these tournament players, I mean, they're watching where everything's going, and they know what they own and where they own it, because everything's yes. very when, particular. When you're playing against an experienced tournament player, mm-hmm. it's hard to beat them with these tricks. Yeah. I mean, you still try, yeah. but you almost never do. It's like in baseball when you hide, you know, when you pretend to throw the ball to the first yeah. baseman, things like I that. I mean, if yeah. you're playing a Jeff Ellis, yeah. he's always going to see you. Yeah. But if you're playing somebody else who's maybe new to tournaments, he may not. Yeah. Um, so now when you get ready for these tournaments, what I remember from the movies, you have like a team, like a training team. Yes. Is that true? Yes. Now who's on your team and what role do they play? Well, for, for uh, the last couple of uh, U.S. tournaments, they involved uh, Jeff Ellis, mm-hmm. who's a great, great player and was my head coach. It involved Dana Turman, who's a former U.S. champion, former second in the world. It involved Lee Baird. And uh, I can't think of anything else. I think it was those three. And so you have a, do you have a practice regimen? Like uh, yeah, we, we we get together and we play whenever we can. We sometimes get together maybe over at uh, Lee Baird's house, for example, the former world champion. Yeah. We'll get together there. Uh, Dana Turman lives uh, back east, so we don't play him too often. But uh-huh. when we're back east for some reason, we or uh, 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 he's out here, we, we get together and play. No, but I mean, what about for, like, because you said you have a tournament coming up. Yes. So what do you do to prepare for a tournament coming up? I'll get together with some of the players probably a few days before the tournament, and we'll play a few games just to just to practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll get together, for example. Um, uh, well, I might get together with um, well Lee Baird. He's here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Ellis is in Bakersfield. We get together quite often. Uh, Matt McNally. We get together once in a while. He's in Las Vegas, but occasionally, mm-hmm. occasionally he'll come to Los Angeles or. I'll be traveling through Las Vegas, and I'll stop, and we'll play a few games. So is it? Is it? Um, it's mostly social at this point. Sure. But to get together and play a few games before a tournament is always helpful. Yeah, I mean, you and you guys play for money ever? Like no. Like for a little scratch, just for fun. Just for fun. Uh, is Some there any... of the tournaments you play for money. Yeah. But we don't play when we're just like no side for fun. bets or anything. No. Um, do you do any opposition research or scouting of like new players or players you haven't played before? I mean, you, yes, you watch them. We watch them. We we look at things like what's their favorite playing piece. We look at what their uh, favorite pieces are because we we're going to be trading with them. Yeah. So it's nice to know what properties they like because they'll often overpay for them. Right. Yeah, you bring up a whole kind of interesting psychological aspect in your book of knowing, knowing like there was some guy you were talking about who was from Chicago, and he wanted Illinois Avenue. Yes. He was willing to pay, I, I, don't, I don't know if you gave specifics, but willing to, pay, willing to pay way too much, which essentially like cost him out of the tournament. Like he paid himself out of the tournament, right? At that tournament, Illinois Avenue is one of the most landed on properties on the board. Okay. It so happened that game it was the last property sold. Okay. And I bought it. Mm-hmm. And his heart just 
almost stopped beating. <laughs> and I said, don't worry, don't worry, we'll, we'll trade. So I worked out a trade with him where he gave me every property he owned, including other red properties Come on Illinois Avenue. Does, that, does it feel weird to beat a guy like that, though? I mean, it's like... You know, playing basketball against like middle schoolers. You know, it's like you never know. <laughs> you never know what you're going to play. Everybody has a favorite property. Yeah. And if you can figure out what that property is, yeah, they'll often overpay for it. Huh. Now, your what are your can you can you tell me your favorite piece or do you, do you have favorite properties or do you? Well, my favorite property strategically are probably the oranges. Yeah. Because they're landed on so much more than any uh, any other property. Yeah. But if you're playing Matt McNally and Jeff Ellis, and they know the oranges. Yeah. So uh, they're not going to trade you the orange unless you really overpay for it. Right. Or get something else of equal So you way. might not get the orange then in that yeah. game. Yeah. Is there like an accepted value of monopolies in that, you know, if you're playing with four guys who are all champions, you know, do you guys kind of know, well, if, I, if, if you want the oranges... You know, you're trading the Reds away. The Reds get landed on a lot, but there's a there's a small difference in statistics. And how do you make up that difference with money, with cash? When I'm with... playing the other players that really know what they're doing. Yeah. Where I'm not going to get away with tricking them. Yeah. Then what we do is we trade where we try and trade where it's even. Okay. So if somebody's getting the oranges, he may only have money to put six houses on. Mm-hmm. Whereas the guy with the greens may have more money to put two or three houses on the greens. Yeah. So although the oranges are landed on more often, the greens are being paid more. Yes. So it'll be some kind of thing where, first of all, our position on the board is very important. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm about to land on the oranges on my next roll, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you the oranges. I'm going to wait till I'm past them. <laughs> so we look carefully at our position on the board. Yeah. We look carefully at our money. Yeah. Now, you're not going to tell me how much money you have. Right. I may ask. You probably won't tell me. Yeah. But I'll know because I we, we both started with $1,500. Mm-hmm. You've both been buying property. If you have twice as many property deeds as I have, you have less money. Mm-hmm. I already know that. I I know within a couple hundred dollars how much money you have if I've been paying attention. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, it's going to depend how much money we have, how much we can build. Because if I trade you a monopoly and I get a monopoly in return, we're going to build right away. Right. So I need to know how much money you have. Right. Now, no trade. Now, when I was, there were a couple you know, basic rules that I kind of learned growing yeah. up. And one of them is you never trade a monopoly away without getting one in return. Uh, that's true. Now, in my book, I have a different strategy. Okay. Because if you have four people playing, the property might be distributed in such a way there are no straight monopoly trades. Okay. So I would go to you. I would say, uh, okay, I'll tell you what. Uh, why don't I trade you the yellows? You don't have a monopoly to give me. I'm going to give you the yellows because, first of all, you're not going to give me the yellows. Right. So I'll give you the yellows. You have to give me a few extra things because you can't give me a monopoly. Yeah. So I want your red, I want your yellow, or whatever, and, and I get several properties from you. Uh-huh. Now you've got the yellows. You've got the only monopoly in the game. Mm-hmm. I have now the key properties I need to make a trade with someone else. Mm -hmm. So I'll go to player number two, and I'll go, see, he's got the yellows. He's going to win unless we trade. That you just gave him, by the way. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I'll take the oranges, and I'll give you the reds. Uh Okay, trade. Then I go to the other party, and I say, okay, look, I'll take the light blues, I'll give you the purples. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just left out. Yeah. Okay. So now I have two monopolies and everybody else has one. Yeah. And you that's brilliant because you've given each person a better monopoly than you got. Because they need more money to develop that. Right. But you've got, you so, yeah, so you have two lesser monopolies, so it looks like a good deal. See, when I'm giving two. you the first monopoly, yeah, I'm not going to give you the light blues. Yeah. Because you can develop that fairly quickly. Yeah. And if I run into any problems with the other players, you're going to win. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to trade to you the yellows or the greens, <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to say, 
because you're not giving me a monopoly, yeah. you have to give me a little money. You have to give me these property deeds. Yeah. So not only has has my request for money slowed you down. Yeah. My request for property deeds has put me in a better trading position. Your genius is being revealed to me. This is yes. <laughs> so now, but you don't care because you're getting the only monopoly in the game, right? But and we've all been trying to deal for many, many minutes, mm -hmm. and we've never been put together a deal. So I finally say, I'll tell you what, I'll give you the yellows. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because you're basically because if you don't, yeah. I'm going to give somebody else the reds. I'm going to leave you out. Right. Man, it's a lot. It's psychological warfare, Ken. It this is. It's insane. It is. Now, now, given that, one of the things that uh, this is in your book um, that kind of blew my mind was the idea of multi-person deals. Like this is like some you know NBA. This is like professional sports stuff where you have yeah. multiple team, multiple people involved in a trade. How does that? I, I don't even know how that works. You may have a situation yeah. where no two people have two monopolies between them. Okay. But between three of us, we have three monopolies. Okay. So I, I may have to work a deal where I give you a property, I give him a property, I get a property from him, I get a property for you, mm -hmm. and we all end up with a monopoly. Yeah. Now, that seems like a pretty good deal to me, at least for those three. Yeah. But sometimes, depending on the experience of the player, you might not be able to pull it off because they'll be very confused mm -hmm. over a three-person deal. Mm -hmm. That confuses people. Yeah, it's confusing so, me. Yeah, so in that case, you might have to go to a situation where you give the guy a monopoly and you get nothing in return except some key deeds. Mm -hmm. It will help you get a monopoly in the future, but yeah. not now. Now, with, the, with a multi-person deal... Do you start out with the end? Like, okay, what do you what do you want to end up with? And then you, yes. and then you work backwards? Right. I'll start with you because you might be reluctant to, to be part of this deal. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with you and I'm going to say, what's your favorite property? Mm -hmm. If we can work a deal where you get your favorite property, what is it? So mm -hmm. you say, well, gee, I really like the reds. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's see if we can do that. So then I'll put together other deals. What's your favorite property? So when a couple of guys are getting their favorite property, they're going to first overpay for it. Mm -hmm. And I'll be more likely to get the property because I, I, I can come back to you later and I said, hey, you told me you wanted the reds. Well, we're giving you the reds. What's the problem? Right. And I, I ask you to overpay for it. Right. <laughs> Does that work? It works quite a bit. Really? How many of the people who are at these tournaments are professional versus recreational? On the West Coast, there are about half a dozen professionals that show up regularly. Now, they don't always make the final game. A lot of times, the final game, which may have five people, mm -hmm. may have three or four professionals. Hmm. And there's four people that play per board, yes? Yes, generally. Um, what they'll sometimes do for the final game is they'll, they'll have... Some they'll have whoever won the tournament last year be the the um, the judge, mm -hmm. and he will not play. He will judge the preliminary rounds, mm -hmm. and then for the final game he'll be the fifth player, and he'll pick one of the people who played who isn't in the final game to be the judge. So he gets an automatic buy into the final table. Yes, wow. that's happening at this tournament in October. Yeah. The winner of last year's tournament was a guy named Craig Way, who's mm -hmm. a very professional player. Mm -hmm. He plays a lot. So he's going to judge this tournament, and he'll be in the final game. Um, what is it fundamentally about this game that, that speaks to you so much? I don't know what it is, because some people think, <laughs> some people think I'm this game genius who can yeah. beat them at anything, but yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'm actually a mediocre player of everything except Monopoly for some reason. <laughs> but so, what is it about Monopoly? I mean, do you just have a natural ability to trade? Is it? I don't know. I just love the game and I, I enjoy it so much. Yeah. I guess what's good about it is every time you play, it's different. Yeah. Because there's an unlimited combinations of property you can get, of money you can get, and uh, it's just different every time we play it. And I just, I just love it. Now, you seem like a rules purist, yes. and I respect that. I like that. 
Um, there's this new concept, fast dice, where you have a third dice that you roll. I do not play that. Okay, because I know it's in some tournaments. I, I was shocked to see it used in some tournaments. It was used in the last World Championship. Yeah. And to give you an example, yeah. at that World Championship, virtually every world-class player that I know yeah. was in that tournament. Yeah. And none of them made the final game. No kidding. It, seem, it seems like... I was there. Lee Baird was there. Uh, Gary was there. Um, uh, Jeff was there. Uh, Jeff's father was there. Craig Way was there. We were all there. None of us made the final game. Wow. Um, yeah, it seems because I was the way it works in a, in a kind of a, in a very broad strokes. Or if you roll three of a number, you get to move your piece anywhere on the board. Correct. It changes the game completely. Yeah, totally. I mean, and it's it's not really Monopoly. Yeah. And we don't like it. We we tried very hard to get them not to use it. We talked them out of using it for the preliminary rounds. So we all won the preliminary rounds, and that's why there were so many of us tournament players at that world championship, mm-hmm. or the, the U.S. championship. But we could not convince them to not use it for, for the, that championship. So I don't know what will happen next time. Wow. I mean, it, yeah, it definitely seems, I mean, it, when you have the rules being altered that much, I mean, I imagine it affects your players, but from, from, uh, Parker, Parker Brothers owns them, or is it Hasbro? Hasbro owns them now, correct? Uh, Hasbro, Hasbro owns them, and, and they they don't they don't seem to trust the game as as um, uh, Parker Brothers did. Well, I think you get to a point where you've where you have the, the game's been out what since nineteen thirty yes what thirty two thirty five thirty five. Everyone who has a copy of the game already has a copy of the game. Yes. You, know, you have to put more copies into people's hands if you want to keep selling it. And they've done that a couple of ways. You know, I don't know that Fast Dice is the way to do it. I, I think, I don't know how you feel about themed games, but I, I like Star Wars Monopoly yes. started a trend that exponentially increased the amount of, pro- of profit they had from the game. I understand why they're selling those themed games. Yes. I understand that I'm in a minority. Mm-hmm. I don't like them. I find them distracting, mm-hmm. but I understand that very few people follow me. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But at tournaments, it's always the the basic game. The standard. They game. don't play Star Wars at the tournaments. Yeah. They play or Simpsons game. or yeah. Uh, I mean, there's even a whole other company that specializes in you know other cities. It's yeah. like I forget what what it's called, but they do that. Um, now, when it comes to um, now, your, your daughter's a top player, yes? Yes. Is that true? Yes. How did you get her into the game? Um, she played when she was younger. Yeah. And uh, in the 2003, she was 10 years old, and she she got a, she got a seat at the U.S. Championship. Now, is she like a child prodigy? Like, you know, yeah, she's very, very good. She, she came in, I think that year, she came in number 35 in the country. No kidding. And she still plays? She still plays, but not as often. <laughs> not quite as much. Um, oh, now speaking, I want to go back to this for just a second. Speaking of Monopoly from 1935, you actually procured a, an, an original Charles Darrow copy of the game, correct? Yes, it's actually a 1934 version of the game. Wow. A handmade version by Charles Darrow. Yeah. And I saw it on um, on eBay. Hmm. And I bought it not knowing for sure what it was, but suspecting mm. it was a Charles Darrow game. Mm. And uh, I called Phil Urbanes, who's very well known in Monopoly. He's the chief ju- judge in all the Monopoly tournaments. Who does he Who does he work for? Like, how does he get his expertise? He used to work for Parker Brothers. Uh-huh. And even though he doesn't work for Parker Brothers, they still ask him to be the Monopoly judge. Mm-hmm. So he's always the judge for the World Championship and the U.S. Championship. Now, he's not the guy who dresses up like... Um Uncle Moneybags, or no, he's not. Okay, he's not. So I, I called Phil and I explained that I got this game, and he said, "Well, I don't own a Jaro game, but I've seen many of them, so I can tell you if it's real or not. Send me some pictures." Mm. I sent him some pictures, and he authenticated it as a real Jaro's game. Okay. And he later put it in one of his books, and uh, made it official. So I'm gonna put some pictures up of it on the site. You've just shown it to me. I mean, this thing's amazing. I mean, it's it everything's hand cut. Nothing's even. Like the title deeds aren't yes. even. Um, and it's typed. I mean, it's it's typed. If you look at the back of the, some of these pieces, you can yeah. see that they're from old cardboard boxes. 
Really? Yes. <laughs> Very interesting. And and the um, the original playing pieces are a charm bracelet. Is that correct? They were charm bracelet, and the original instruction said, uh, "Use pieces from a charm bracelet." Hmm. <clears throat> so you could use any piece that you could basically get your hands on. Yes. So, like the thimble, was it? I mean, was that originally a real thimble that people used? Yes, it was originally a real thimble or something from a charm bracelet. I've got the original shoe, which is sterling silver from a charm bracelet from the 1920s. Wow. So the game's been going on now. The 20s games. What were? Because there's. Do you know a little bit about the history of Monopoly? Like, I do. It's very. Give me broad con- strokes. It's very controversial. Okay. The first, what they sometimes call version of the game was a game called The Landlord's Game by Lizzie Maggie okay. at the turn of the century. And it was, it was somewhat similar to Monopoly. I think it's a very different game, but some people think it's very similar. Okay. Uh, there were several versions of the game that were made, and Charles Darrow ended up selling the current version of Monopoly to Parker Brothers. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of controversy over where whether Charles Darrow was one of the inventors or just some charlatan. Mm-hmm. Parker Brothers doesn't really care because they purchased all versions of the game. Okay. So whoever invented Monopoly, it doesn't matter because he sold his rights to Parker Brothers. Well, it matters to them and their estate, I imagine. It, it matters to them. It doesn't matter to Parker Brothers. Right. <laughs> so they called Darrow the original inventor. Yeah. I don't really get involved in that kind of controversy. Sure, I don't yeah. really care. Yeah. I just enjoy the game. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the way to do it. Um, and you, you've actually set some records, correct? Like in Monopoly. Yes. I, I hold the world's record for the, the fastest game. Yeah. Which is? Which is about 15 minutes. So what And also there? one of the most expensive games. What? Oh, you've played in the most expensive game? Yes. Now, what does that mean? It means that my total was about was over twenty thousand dollars in a standard Monopoly game. And how much money is in the set itself? You there used to be uh, how can you about have that much? fifteen thousand uh-huh. dollars? But now they've they've doubled it in some of the games. Because of you, or just in general? Just in general, so they don't run out of money. So now, you, how do you even get the most expensive game? Are you just circling go a lot? I mean, you have to generate, you know, put money yes, back we in the system. Yes, we were going very fast, and I got to the point where I was winning the game, and I wanted a high score because mm-hmm. in that year they were taking the high scores for the U.S. Championship. Mm-hmm. So oh, you're padding your stats. I'm padding my stats. Yes. So <laughs> the game was going to be 90 minutes. I got people after I was winning, after about a half an hour. I got people to play very fast, mm-hmm. and we just built up the game. Wow! And so these are in the Guinness Book of World Records. Like you could look them yes. up. Yes. Now the fastest game, fifteen minutes. How did you bankrupt three people in fifteen minutes? Kind of luck. Okay. I sat down. I'm playing a young boy, about ten years old, and mm-hmm. two old women. The, Go on. <laughs> the young boy announces he's going to win the game. Mm-hmm. And he's got a favorite property, but he's not going to tell us what it is. Uh-huh. So he rolls and lands on one of the light blues uh-huh. and says, I'm not going to buy it. So we start bidding. Mm-hmm. I bid $10 more than the property cost. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Old woman rolls. She lands on a light blue. I offer her $10 more than she paid. She took it. Really? So now I've got two light blues. It's my turn. I'm the yeah. third player. Yeah. I land on the third light blue. There it is. I put hotels up immediately. This yeah. is a few seconds into the game. <laughs> and uh, I eventually won the game in 15 minutes. See, this is why you're a shark, and I like that. You have no problem being a 10-year-old kid and two old women. I, lo- <laughs> I love that. That's great. I would. That's that's a champion, though. I mean, you got to look. If you're going to win, you got to win. And that was a tournament, correct? Yes. And that was sanctioned, so so people saw that it, it wasn't like a house game. This was a real yes. in the books. Yes. Um, do people ask you about that game a lot, or do people? Yeah, know they about do. It? In fact, it almost happened a second time, but the second time. It was a game where they were counting total assets. Okay. So although I could have won another 15-minute game, I would have lost the tournament. Hmm. So what I did is 
I ended up not collecting rent for an hour and a half. See, that's interesting. I would think, like, just just to spitball here a little bit, I would think that the record book, like, if you were somehow able to beat your previous record, was that possible? Uh, It could have happened. That would seem more impressive than the tournament. I mean, do you, uh, you, you know, the tournament. I, I is... would, but under those tournament rules, yeah, they were taking the, the the top four people who had the highest assets. No, I'm saying like I would have tanked the tournament to have another record in the record book. That I mean, I'm. I probably should have, but yeah. I didn't. Because that's like that's forever, man. Yeah. Um, now you you also created a computer game. A computer program. I'm sorry, not a game. Yes. A computer program designed to... is in 1977, if I remember correctly. Yeah, right? Yes. So in what, those it, what days, did it do? Uh, now, the, the computers today are much more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Much more sophisticated than I am. Right. <laughs> but right. in those yeah. days, they had a, what are called programmed calculators. Okay. And um, I programmed this calculator to play Monopoly. Mm. And I programmed the different uh, color groups. So you could assign That's impressive, one, by the way. That's one amazing. color group to each person and okay. assign them an, an amount of money and see who would win. And so then how did you use that? And you used that in the tournaments. I mean, you were able to like make calculations. You, you can't use it during the tournament. Okay. You can use it to prepare for the tournament. Okay, I see. For example, we would, we would uh, ballpark these trades. Well, let's say, suppose I trade you the Reds and I get the maroons. Mm-hmm. How much money would I have to have to win? Okay. So I say, okay, I'm going to trade you the reds, and the person with the reds has X number of dollars. Mm-hmm. Let's see who would win. Mm. And then let, now let's do the trade again. We'll give the person with the reds maybe more money. Yeah. So his rent's a little higher. Yeah. And we'd run the program and see who would win. Wow. And this helped you? It did. It gave us ideas. Now, you don't always know who's going to win mm-hmm. because what the program would just figure out, if my income is a dollar more than yours, I'm going to win. Right. But that isn't necessarily going to happen. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, it's kind of amazing that you were able to take that computer and program it to, to create these scenarios. It which, was a lot of fun. It gave us a lot of the early uh, ideas. The statistics. Yeah. Because now there's been real, you know, real studies done in universities on the statistics of Monopoly. Yes. Have you, and you've, have you looked at these? And Yes, we've looked at them and we can see the probability of landing on different properties. Yeah. Um, now with all this background, I mean, have you? Are there any tournament leaders like uh, you know career tournament wins? Do they? Do you guys keep track of that? I'm not sure what you're asking. So, like, um, for as many sanctioned tournaments as there have been, is there, is there like a guy who's won you know 30 tournaments? You know, is there like a top guy who's won the won the largest number of tournaments? I, I don't know. That would probably be either myself or Lee Baird. So you guys have won the largest number, like coming number one. I'm I'm guessing to some extent. Yeah. But probably myself or Lee Baird. I'm surprised you don't keep track. Like most, I'm surprised there isn't someone keeping track of that. Because we've just been playing for so many years, it never yeah. occurred to us to keep track. So <laughs> the first few years, I'm winning tournaments. Yeah. But I'm not really keeping track. Do you have it the... just never occurred to me. Yeah. I mean, do you have all the medals and like other trophies? Yes. There? So yeah. do you keep them all? Yes. Are they on display or are they just... Some of them are. Are they? I don't have room for all of them. (laughs) It's a good problem to have. Um, What's the biggest one, like physically? Uh, Probably a trophy that's probably about 10 or 12 inches tall. Okay, so they're not huge, like three-foot trophies. Oh, no, I've got trophies that are taller than that. I've got trophies that that are two or three feet. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's for like the bigger U.S. and stuff? Uh, No, just different tournaments. It, it, the, my cup that's one feet mm. is actually very nice. It's mm. good materials. Yeah. Better materials than the, than than the, the big ones. Trophy. Um, you know, one of the things that struck me is because you have all this background and you, um, you know, you put together the training team. In the movie, uh, you actually get, you bankrupt three times. Yes. What happened? They were playing with the third speed die. Oh, that's why. That that, that tournament it. was the first U.S. tournament that yeah. they completely changed the rules. Oh, they played okay. with the speed die, yeah. where it doesn't it, it doesn't matter what property you have because yeah. you can have let's say a Boardwalk and Park Place. Okay, two properties, 
on the side of the board where there's a go-to-jail square. Yeah. Nobody hits the go-to-jail square because they're passing it. Mm, I see. You, you roll the dice, and one out of three times, it sends you to the next property where there's rent. Okay. So what people were doing is simply they're mortgaging everything that's not built. They build on one property and mortgage everything else. Mm. So the fact that Boardwalk and Park Place are not hit very often in a normal game of Monopoly mm-hmm. doesn't matter in this game because they're hit every time. Wow. Somebody rolls one out of three times, they, they automatically advance to the next property with a house. Yeah. That's insane. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how, they don't, they don't mention that. And I was curious, like that must have, you put all that time and effort into training and then you get bounced. Yeah. Um, and how many tournaments do you go through a year? Maybe half a dozen. So there's that many? Yes. All across the, the country or? Uh, mostly in the western United States. I've been to tournaments all over the country, but most of them are in the western United States that I go to. Hmm. Now, do you, so you face the same people over and over again. Are there any um, like ongoing feuds, friendly or otherwise? You know, oh, we're all friends. Uh, uh, we get together and we play when there's not a tournament. Mm. We have fun. So there's no like, hey, I want to beat this guy. There's nothing like that. No. So I be- mean, everybody wants to win. Right. But if, if you win, people say congratulations and yeah. they go on. <laughs> so there's no animosity. Not at all. That's good. Pretty friendly all around. Pretty friendly, yeah. So I assume it attracts good people, like pretty nice people who, you know. Yeah, some of my best friends are from Monopoly. No kidding. Yeah. That you met on the tournament circuit. and Yes, the, and, the Ellis family. Yeah. Uh, Craig Way. Um, Tim Vandenberg now. Yeah. He's a good guy, Tim Vandenberg. Yeah, he is. Um, is there anyone that you, when you sit down at a table, you don't want to see? I mean, I assume they're all good, but I mean, is there, you know, honestly, anybody that... Well, what I... Well, those of us that play a lot in tournaments, mm-hmm. we tend to avoid each other in the preliminary rounds. Right. Because... If I'm going to play in two tournament rounds before the final round, mm-hmm. I don't want to be against Jeff Ellis in the first game. Right. Because only one of us is going to advance. Right. So <laughs> it tough. might be me, it might be him. Yeah. So uh, I will try and avoid the better players Yeah. in the preliminary rounds. To make it further. To make it further. Uh, but I know I'm going to see them at the end of the day. Yeah. Um. All right, two other questions. The McDonald's game, Monopoly yes. game, what, yay or nay? Uh, I just haven't played it. Doesn't have anything to do with Monopoly. I don't have anything against it. I just haven't played it. And what is your greatest secret to Monopoly? No one's listening. It's okay. It's just the two of us. The greatest secret is you get the oranges when you have enough money. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. Okay. At the last tournament I was in, which was in San Diego, mm-hmm. tournament I ended up winning, mm-hmm. there was uh, there was a five-player game at the end. It included four of us that regularly play each other, mm-hmm. and one new guy who was a reader of my book. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to decide. Twenty minutes into the game, we're we're trying to decide: can we trade? Because it looked like we put together a five-person trade, but one of the people is going to get the oranges. Mm-hmm. So how do we decide who gets the oranges? Right. Well, the new guy who had read my book and knew about the oranges sort of overvalued them. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give each of you $200 hmm. give me the oranges. Yeah. He had bought quite a few properties. Yeah. So I figured very quickly... If he gives each of us $200, not only can we buy more houses, but he won't have any money left. Yeah, it's $800, right? Right. Yeah. So I said, okay, that's it. That's the deal. We put together a deal really quickly. <laughs> I ended up getting the greens. Yeah. Oh. But people favorite. didn't notice. I had a lot of money because I had not bought many properties. And people were two rolls away from the greens. So they were going to hit me first. Yeah. When you have a thing where five people are getting monopolies at once, yeah, they're going to hit somebody first, right? And it just so happened the greens were going to be hit first. 
<laughs> and I won the game. So your secret is stay alert. Yeah. You know all the factors. Exactly. Man, that's 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 incredible. Um, well, Ken, let's move some paper. Tell me, uh, give me some of your contact information where people can find you and the name of your book, where they can get your book. I'll put all these links on my website. But that's okay, not sure. I can be emailed at ken at cory dot com. Mm-hmm. My book can be bought at uh, monopolybook dot com, mm-hmm. as well as Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, just about everywhere. All those places. Yes. Okay, and you're on Twitter too. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I haven't been on there recently, but I, I am on Twitter. Ken Corey, right? Yes. K-O-U-R-Y. Yes. Um, anywhere else? Are you a Facebook fan? you got pages, fan they, pages. They've been selling my books at tournaments, actually. Okay. who's The tournament, you get you getting the money on that? Yes. Okay, good for you. Um, all right, well, Ken, thank you for sitting down with me, man. This has been <laughs> My pleasure. This has been one of my favorite games, and to talk to an expert... Um, and hopefully, I, I hope we can get together and play soon. Yeah, I was just going to say, hopefully, I think we're going to, I'm going to try to broker a, a game. I'd love to play with you, Tim, and Lee, who are all local. Um, yes. I'd love to get annihilated and learn a couple things. Okay. So. Well, Ken, thanks again, and thanks to everyone for listening. Have a good night.